Stories, fables, ghostly tales. Welcome, listeners, to your Wednesday night creepy stories. And this Wednesday, I bring you three Let's Not Meet stories to your lovely ears. Your first story titled, 16, Narrowly Escaped Doctor's Office Kidnapping, by Abigail Williams, 1692. It's a tale of quick thinking, ingenious maneuvering, and exceptional street smarts. Your second story is, I Accidentally Discovered an Online Shrine, by Vinegrade where a friend becomes a stalker, and that stalker wants to be them. Lastly, our third story is, I just wanted to check the discount sign, by Sinfully Circe, a story of a trip to a bra shop that goes strangely violent. I want to thank all three lovely people for providing their stories, and unlike other tale episodes where I add music and sound effects, I'm going to keep this one straight without those additions. Let me know what your thoughts are on its quality and the effect of the absence of sound effects, music, or any other additions. Now turn the lights off, the sound up, and get ready for a dose of creepy. Sixteen. Narrowly escaped doctor's office kidnapping. When I was sixteen years old, I decided to surprise my parents with a bouquet of flowers for Valentine's Day. We've always celebrated this as a family holiday rather than a romantic one. I didn't have a car to drive to a florist, but my high school was within walking distance of a hospital, boasting a gift shop that sells floral arrangements. Between classes during the week of Valentine's Day, I set off for the hospital by my lonesome cutting across campus to walk through a network of side roads populated with specialty doctor's offices that keep odd hours. The sort of buildings where travelling doctors mainly hold surgery consultations or perform small procedures a few times a month. The trip there passed without incident. As I was walking back through said deserted roads, with a vase of flowers in tow, I noticed an unkept 1990s car close behind me. While my memory of the car is hazy, I am left with the impression that there were at least two men within whose faces I could not see. Initially, I assumed that the driver was simply afraid of hitting me, the reason they weren't passing by. So I made a point of dramatically trudging further into the grassy shoulder of the road, demonstrating to them they could safely drive ahead. They still refused to pass me by continuing to creep along behind at a slow pace, beginning to suspect that the driver was more interested in me than a destination, I began to walk faster. The car confirmed my suspicions by matching my speed. Despite the impracticality of my shoes and the threat of spilling water from my vase, I commenced to run as fast as I could. They hit the gas and again matched my speed. I realized at this point that the car was following me, that there was no one in sight to notice, and I needed to get away. I bolted into the first parking lot that I saw. The car turned in after me. Despite there being only two or three cars 
in the spacious front parking lot, and there being no other sign of activity at the office, this car did not stop to park in the numerous spaces available there. The driver instead opted to pursue me into the partially under-constructed back portion of this lot, behind the office. It passed every available parking space to corner me against a pile of debris and rubble from the construction, coming to a diagonal stop less than three feet away. Before anyone could emerge from the vehicle, I somehow managed to scale the small prominence of rubble against my back, vase in hand, and jumped from its peak to land painfully on the other side, which fortunately was a plot of undeveloped land within sight of my high school campus. I took a quick peek back over my shoulder to see if they were still in pursuit, but the car had sped off after I reached the top of the rubble pile and was now nowhere in sight. They had not parked in the lot at all. They had no business there. The driver was following me. I sprinted at top speed and didn't stop until I was soaked with sweat in the dead of winter and panting in the student lounge among my classmates, who didn't seem to give a damn when I told them. Possibly because our hometown is supposedly a human trafficking capital, and the crime rate is outrageous. Although I am convinced that this was something more informal than human trafficking, as the dilapidated car suggested poverty, and I have read human trafficking usually arises through grooming and not being snatched off the streets. In retrospect, I should have told an adult, alerted campus security, and called the non-emergency line of the local police station, but I was young, foolish, insecure, and afraid of getting in trouble for leaving campus when I didn't have a signed permission form permitting me to do so. I kept trying to convince myself that I had misread the situation, or was overreacting. I don't know what I could have even told the police had I called them, as I was entirely ignorant on the subject of cars and couldn't have identified the make of it had I been asked, and I couldn't see the faces of the occupants. I was also worried that my parents would restrict my already extremely limited freedoms if they knew I had been in any danger. I feel horrible for having never told anyone, and earnestly hope that my secrecy hasn't led to someone being hurt or killed. I believe the only missing people aside from runaway children or elderly adults with dementia in the city right now, though, are men, aside from one woman a few decades ago. Whoever followed and tried to trap a 16-year-old girl with flowers at a doctor's office just before Valentine's Day of 2016? Let's not meet. I accidentally discovered an online shrine. I recently received a friend request that reminded me of this story, so I'm going to share it here. This happened after I went to university, so I was 18. I made an effort to make friends after I moved onto campus and ended up with a few groups to hang out with, including a new girlfriend and plenty of people from my classes that I liked well enough. There was one class before lunch where it was traditional for people to go to the cafeteria afterwards to eat in pairs or threes. I wasn't very discerning about who I'd have lunch with because I got on fine with most people from the class and we were all trying to make an effort to be social. So when one girl, Lily, asked if I wanted to eat lunch together after that class, I didn't have any reason not to go. 
We talked about school and that kind of thing. Nothing noteworthy. But she did ask me to get lunch with her again the next week. It became a pattern. And there wasn't exactly a way to start saying no suddenly. It was fine, but it didn't mean I lost the chance to eat lunch with anyone else on those days. In hindsight, I suppose that was the point. One day in class, I asked someone if I could add them on my social media. This happened in front of Lily. I saw her face jerk towards me from a couple of seats over. It was such a sharp reaction that it was hard to ignore, and I still remember it. By the time I got home later that day, Lily had sent me a friend request. No friends in common. Don't know how she knew my last name. I was a bit surprised, but I guess she had just dug through the university's social media pages and found me through there. It gave me a bad feeling, but surely it was fine. She ended up messaging me a lot and commenting on anything I posted. I told myself that she was just awkward and we became friends, if not close. I'd known worse people. She still always got me to go eat lunch with her after our one shared class. Other than that, we rarely spent time together in person. I saw her around sometimes, but I never went out of my way to hang out with her. So it was mostly online messaging and seeing each other in group settings. Coincidentally, my girlfriend was also called Lily. This was something that clearly bothered Lily. Not my girlfriend, who couldn't have found it less interesting. It's a common name. She occasionally hinted that she wanted my girlfriend to pick a different name, or joked about her not suiting it. She clearly didn't like my girlfriend at all, and I had an idea of why. It was hard to ignore by this point. Lily was starting to unsubtly hint that she had a crush on me. I tried not to address it, because what was I going to say? I've never known what to do when a friend makes a pass at me. I was also not interested in the least. Even ignoring the weird stuff she pulled, Lily was not my type at all. She tended to dress and act in a way somewhere between a 50s housewife and one of those adults who was still obsessed with Disney princesses, if you can picture that. Things took an uncomfortable turn on the day of our last shared class of the year. Instead of asking me to lunch like she usually did, Lily asked if I'd go for a walk with her. Again, I didn't exactly know how to refuse, so I said, all right. Our campus was bordered by a large patch of woodland. Lily led me into the woods and the sound of our fellow students slowly faded away. She sat down on a log and I joined her. She started talking about how she was going to miss me over the summer. I tried placating her, but I didn't want to be there. Especially because she seemed almost on the verge of tears. I think I tried to make an excuse about having plans with my girlfriend, but before I could leave, Lily chose to kiss me without warning. It was uncomfortable to say the least. I got out of there and was happy to think I wouldn't see her for a while. I came back to university after the summer, moving into a house with my friends. Without going off topic, there were some serious issues in my friend group. A lot of petty arguing and worse. I broke up with my girlfriend around the start of the school year as well, and basically the whole mess made me recontextualize things with Lily because it didn't seem as bad. That said, I didn't want to be alone with her. We mostly talked online. She was still constantly messaging me after all. One upside of everything was that I started dating a boy. Lily was not pleased to hear that news. I think she hoped to sneak in after I broke up with my girlfriend. But as I said before, 
that was never going to happen. There wasn't a big gap between my breakup and this new relationship, so she must have thought she missed her chance to be with me. This is where the story gets bad. At this time, I was fairly active on Tumblr. I occasionally talked about my life and mostly reblogged photos and stuff. I was on there one day when something odd happened. One of the blogs I followed had received an ask with some phrases I recognized. It took a second to register that it was taken from my about page. That made me freeze. I read the message properly. Someone was asking this completely random person to analyze a section of text from my page, asking for their opinion on the type of person who would write it. I cannot stress how messed up it was to see people talking about me like I was a character in a book they were trying to study. The reply was basically, I don't know, sorry. But the important thing was that the question hadn't been anonymous. It linked to someone's blog. Obviously, I wanted to know who had taken such a bizarre interest in me. As far as I knew, no one in real life other than my boyfriend knew about my page. Well, no prizes for guessing who was behind it. What I found was like a shrine. She was using a fake name, but I recognized Lily all over that thing. It was this cutesy pink and red page. There were a few posts about her interests, but most of the content was focused on her primary interests. Me. Most of the posts were about me. There were accounts of things I'd done recently. He told me about such and such. He went to a nightclub recently, etc. As well as references to things from as far back as I'd known her. It was clear she'd been keeping tabs on me, both online and offline, gathering up every scrap of information she could about my life and hoarding it here in her collection. She talked about us eating lunch together and how special our dates had been to her as if it was anything more than acquaintances getting food after class. She talked about the time she had forcibly kissed me in the woods, but she wrote it as if it had been mutual. She quoted lyrics from my favorite song and talked about how she'd always be there for me, no matter who else came into my life. Lots of references to loving me just the way he is, which answered another mystery about an anonymous love letter I'd received earlier that year with the same wording. It got worse. There were a lot of posts about my boyfriend as well. These weren't so nice. They got vicious, talking about how he didn't deserve me. He didn't know what he had. If she was with me, she'd be jealous of anyone else who came near me. So my boyfriend not being a jealous person meant he didn't love me. It was angry and hateful. I didn't like to think about the sort of person who could write so obsessively being fixated on me. One thing that didn't make sense at first was that the blog also made plenty of references to Lily's best friend, Stephen. She had never mentioned this person to me. Her posts talked a lot about Stephen and how great a friend he was, and how much fun they had together, how he looked out for her, etc. I was trying to work out whether this was an online friend, when one specific post made it all click. She had posted a photo and captured it with, Stephen sent this to me. He knew I would like it and I love it. Or something like that. The problem was, 
the photo was taken from my own page. I hadn't sent it to her. She took it from my page and then claimed this fictional best friend of hers shared it with her. Because in her head, she'd split me into two people. In her messed up fantasy life, I was both the perfect best friend who was always looking out for her and her soulmate who was bound to end up with her when I finally got over my sweet, kind boyfriend and all the other easy girls I hung out with that she made dozens of posts complaining about. Who was she complaining to? Oh, Lily had an audience. She asked open questions about me and her relationship with me and got messages back from her followers, people who took what she said at face value. I saw a bunch of random people agreeing with this stalker that my boyfriend didn't deserve me, and we were bound to break up soon so I could be with Lily, the person I was clearly supposed to be with. She had this fake fanfiction version of my life up for anyone to share their opinion on, and she'd made herself out to be the hero of it all. I went maybe a month back into this page's history. I did not look at everything that was there. It was too much. So I'm not sure how long this had been going on. I sent Lily a message confronting her about the blog. She said nothing. And I cannot stress how weird it was to have found pages and pages dedicated to me. With her talking about how she was in love with me and would make sure we'd ended up together. Slamming my boyfriend and building a fantasy life with two different versions of me in it that she clearly believed to be real then acting like it hadn't happened. She said nothing. She didn't address it. She just changed the subject, even after I pushed, and it was like she hadn't even registered what I said. I've never seen anything else like it. She deleted the page, of course, or at least changed the name and hid it so I'd never find it again. It wasn't the end, though. I wasn't going to hang out with her anymore, but we were still shoved together in classes and she had started to actually scare me with what she might do next. I'm kind of a paranoid person. Knowing someone was obsessively keeping track of me for who knows how long freaked me out. The next thing she pulled was trying to seduce my boyfriend. It was an absolutely useless attempt that only made him uncomfortable. He told me about it right away. What was her plan there? Did she hope to tell me he cheated and waited for me to break up with him? Why would I want her after that? When that didn't work out for her, she tried hitting on three of my other friends. None of them took the bait. She ended up dating one of my former housemates for a while, but made sure to send me messages while they were together, letting me know she'd rather be with me. No, thanks. Lily made sure to stay in my life the whole time I was at university. There was a time when I tried to pull away from her, and she ended up starting rumors about me and damaging a career opportunity I'd put a lot of work into. I don't know what else she did behind my back, but it made me realize it was safer to let her think she was part of my life while ignoring her, rather than doing something that would cause her to get angry. After I graduated, Lily still wanted to spend time together, but I knew I didn't have to now. I made excuses about work and barely talked to her after that point. I almost entirely stopped posting on social media that I knew she knew about. Of course, she didn't give up that easily. She tried to start conversations, asked me to meet up with her, 
Attempts I usually ignored. I didn't like to think she was still tracking me online, but she probably was. I don't know how, but she'd occasionally reference things I mentioned online somewhere. Somewhere she shouldn't have known about. The last time we had a real conversation, she sent me a message out of nowhere. We hadn't spoken at all in months, and we hadn't talked about anything serious in much longer than that. Thinking about that conversation still makes my skin crawl. But I'll summarize what happened. At first, she asked me some questions about how long had I known I was queer. I told her some basic stuff, the kind of thing I told anyone who'd asked. Then she changed the subject. She started talking about how would I feel about her if she was a boy, about wanting to be a boy for me. The messages quickly became fetishistic. She went into plenty of detail about fantasies she had of the two of us. Again, we were not friends at this point. We'd never been especially close, at least not from my perspective, and we had barely spoken for years. I can't imagine sending messages like that to even a close friend, let alone someone who barely knows you. I tried telling her not to pull this crap with me, but she decided to change tactics. She sent photos of herself, followed by a bunch of messages, maybe four or five a minute, way too fast for me to reply before the next one arrived. Basically quoting back what I told her about myself and my past earlier. She was telling me these things as if they'd happened to her. She was role-playing as me. The worst part was that she seemed to believe it was real. That those things actually happened to her even when she was quoting me word for word. Things I told her only hours before were now her life. It was like she was trying to absorb my history, to take it over, to make my life part of her. Yeah, I didn't talk to her again after that. I ignored future attempts she'd made to talk to me, and I eventually silently deleted her from the inactive social media which was her only way of contacting me. I really thought she might finally move on. A few days ago, she sent me a friend's request. It's sitting there, unanswered. Because I know if I delete it, she'll only send another one. Lily and I met nearly 12 years ago. This story is just the highlights, and even then, it's only the stuff I know about for sure. A lot happened behind my back. I know it did. So, girl who spent 12 years obsessing over me, fetishizing me, stalking me, and harassing me, let's not meet again. The fantasy life you built for the two of us in your head is the only place you'll be seeing me anytime soon. I just wanted to check the discount sign. This story takes place in November 2017. I was 18. I'm a very short girl, only 4'10", and I get anxious when someone even looks at me in a way to suggest they might not like me. So, needless to say, I'm incredibly non-confrontational. My friend and I were out shopping. It was something we'd do maybe every few months, just to bond, since we didn't have much time to hang out due to college. She's just like me. Barely scraped 5-1, and very non-confrontational, it's probably why we became friends. On every shopping trip, we would find ourselves in Ann Summers, where both overly endowed and 
struggled to find bras anywhere else, and Ann Summers always had great sales, so we'd grab at the cheap bras while we could. This shopping trip wasn't any different. We browsed shops until we got to Ann Summers, but that's when things took a bit of a turn. I'd barely stepped foot into the shop when a woman with some sort of Slavic accent stopped me. Her finger jammed into my chest. Spit the gum out, she demanded. Assuming she was an employee, I gave a very sheepish, I'm really sorry, and ran out of the shop to spit the gum out and throw it away. When I went back in, I realized that this woman was not an employee. She was a customer who was browsing and happened to be near the door when my friend and I entered the shop. It should have been obvious to me at the time. No salesperson would behave like that. No one that wanted to keep their job anyway. But I kept my head down when I walked past her, holding my breath in hopes she wouldn't notice me again. She didn't, and I thought I was in the clear. My friend and I browsed the shop, trying to avoid the woman. But the shop wasn't very big, probably only 15 feet by about 18 feet. So eventually, I ended up at the sales stand by the store where she had been stood. I tried to keep my distance while browsing. I was looking at the price tags, but realized I didn't know what the discount was, so I leaned over slightly to check the discount sign. It's important that I note that this woman had a pushchair, which is a stroller for the Americans. You'd think that she maybe had a child in this pushchair, but no. It was full of plastic carrier bags. I didn't look too much at it, but I could tell that everything in there was double bagged and tied shut. Whatever was in those bags, she wanted to protect. This scent of protection became very relevant because when I leaned over to look at the discount sign, I was leaning slightly closer to her pushchair, which was still about three feet away from it, but apparently this was too close. The woman was on the other side of the chair, but the moment she saw me, she ran around it where I stood. She hit me in the face. It was somewhere between a slap and a punch. I couldn't quite tell because I was in shock. All I knew is that it hurt. Watch the personal space, she hissed in my ear. I apologized to her. This woman just hit me and I apologized to her. I regret it now, but at the time, I didn't want to provoke her any further. Not that I knew what I did to provoke her in the first place. In shock, I turned around and ran to the back area, grabbing my friend's hand and pulling her with me. The back area was separated by a tiny wall that only stretched halfway across the shop since they stored the adult toys there and wanted to keep them out of sight of the general public. I stood there holding my friend's hand and shaking as I whispered, She just hit me. To my friend. We stood there for a good minute in silence. My friend was positioned in a way that she could see the rest of the store while I hid behind the wall. She's gone. My friend told me. I let out a breath that I didn't know I was holding. Oh, can we stay in here for a while? I asked my friend, worried that the woman would be outside waiting for me. The front of the store was open, but she could have easily been waiting just a couple of feet down the road and out of sight, just waiting for me to leave. My friend agreed, and we slowly browsed the shop again. About five minutes later, we got to the counter to check out. The girl working the counter looked outside and then back at us. That woman had been in here for 30 minutes. I didn't know what to do. She told the two of us. What did she say to you? She told me to spit up my gum when we first came in and then she hit me because I was too close to her. I told her. 
She hit you? The worker was wide-eyed. If I had known that, I would have called security. I'm so sorry. I smiled and shrugged. It's fine. It wasn't really fine, but it wasn't the worker's fault. She didn't look much older like I did, and I wouldn't have known what to do in that situation either. Still shaken up, my friend and I made our way out the store. I looked around but didn't see the woman. Can we go home now? I asked my friend. We hadn't finished browsing all the other shops, but I was so paranoid that we'd bump into the woman again. She agreed, and we got the bus home. When I got home, my parents encouraged me to report the incident to the police. I called the non-emergency line and their answer was basically, well, what do you expect us to do about it? Unless I went back to the Ann Summers and requested the security footage, which I wasn't sure if they actually had, they wouldn't do anything. It's been just over three years and now I'm sure that the woman was likely to have been homeless and or on drugs. It's the only explanation I can think of for the carrier bags and her protectiveness. It was either everything she owned, or drugs, or both. So to the possibly homeless, possibly drugged up woman who hit me, I hope that the current state of the world is treating you well, and you're finally getting the personal space you wanted. But let's not meet again. Well, listeners, the first story had me thinking, this gal has some serious coordination skills. Juggling a vase and running from a would-be kidnapper goes to show how nimble and determined people can be, especially in dire straits. The second story regarding the shrine? Goodness gracious. I can't imagine how your day was during those times, when you knew someone out there was mirroring you, trying to be you. I have to wonder if it's worth pursuing some kind of legal protection, as this person really sounds dangerous. Either way, I hope Lily of 12 years has left your life completely, Vinegrade, and that you're feeling a lot safer. And lastly, sinfully Cersei, that woman that hit you must have been on something crazy. And for you to only turn around and be sympathetic to them shows really how much of a mature person you are. It takes a lot to recognize that this person is not only mentally unstable, but will have a hard life ahead of them. And that you only wish that they are in a better place you sound like a very, very kind person. Thanks to all three of you for these stories. Mates, if you enjoyed this episode and like what I do, go ahead and subscribe. And if you have 10 seconds sparing your day, leave this show an iTunes review. I have a link in the episode notes to make it easy for you lovelies. And lastly, if you really like what I do, you can support the show directly via Patreon, where all donations go back into production. That's www.patreon.com forward slash SFGT. Now, I want to thank my legendary Ode Knight Tea Titan, Maya, Queen of Cats, a deliverer of awesomeness. Thank you so much for your support, mate. I've been using this month's donation to cover website costs and general hosting costs, which have helped immensely. Now, instead of wondering how to fund the website, I spend my time improving it and ensuring that it's 100% functional at all times. Thank you so much, Maya. And I'm loving those drawings you're sending my way. Absolutely superb, mate. My white tea warlord, Leza Bauer, mate, thank you for your awesome emails and the update on one of the Hypebit Patreon episodes that wasn't functioning. As soon as I got your message, bam, fixed it. As always, mate, you keep the clockwork of this podcast ticking away, and it's support like yours that always reminds me how lucky I am to have you and supporters like you. 
Thanks for being brilliant, Leza. You're one top bloke. And of course, the brilliant peeps that Nitro charged this podcast into space. My O-Grain forces. Chad Warren, Just Heather, Juicebox Andy, Peter Raffelli, Tasha Moncrief, Christina Boyd, Dolphin and Cow, Michelangelo Yacone, Tea Time Drinker 1, and Divided by Zero. Thank all of you for supporting me. I'm so damn lucky to have you as my Patreon supporters. I hope your Easter was fantastic. I spent most of mine eating huge quantities of chocolate eggs, crazy amounts of food with friends, and spending time with the family. And by spending time with the family, I meant cooking up pancakes and eating lots of ham. <laughs> I tried something new this weekend as well. Sea cucumber. Have you lovelies ever had that before? It is delicious. Highly recommend it. If you eat anything out of the ordinary for Easter, let me know in the comments. And mates, have a wonderful week where I'll catch you this Friday. And as always, mates, till next we meet.